Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about the five myths of discipleship, part two. Check it out. Hey, everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. So glad to be back. Almost May, which, if I remember correctly, mm. is your birthday month. Yes, it is. How yep. old are you going to be? I'm going to be 37 years old. 37. The number of... Uh, uh, Jesus's life plus the number seven, which is number perfection. Right. So what does that mean? I don't know. For this year. I'm pretty sure it's Jesus lived to about 33, so it's actually plus four. Well, so it's <laughs> the, not the number of perfection. Well, it's, I mean... It's the number of the Gospels. Matthew, okay. Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. Heard of them? Uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Familiar? 37. Well, that means you are definitively closer to uh, 40 than 30. I mean, you already were, but like you're really getting in yeah. that direction. Halfway through this year, you will be closer to 40 than 35. Yeah. Good Just news want is, to encourage you. No, I mean, wait, is that true? Yeah, that's true. Good news is I'm in the best shape of my life. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean... We're recording this a little early. Your poor sixteen-year-old self. <laughs> my hope is by this time I will be in the best shape of my life. This feels like an ongoing, uh, just yeah. endless hope on your part. Well, I wish we could do like a, a snip cut of uh, just cut little snips of every podcast where you talk about your beach I, body, I'm your an, future. I, I'm, an, I'm an optimist. What can I tell you? <laughs> I'm always thinking about the future will be better than the past. Oh so, uh, you know. yes. Well, um, certainly the future weather is better than the past. Yes. I mean, we've had a slow start to spring and. Syracuse is like an old car that can't get started. Uh, we get a little, feels like it's going, and then it's like freezing and snowing. Yeah. We had three, earlier in April, we had three Sundays in a row where it, it snowed. Yeah. And it was just but we've like, had a couple 75-degree days now, yeah, so I'll, yeah. I'll take that. We're getting there. It's funny, though, how fast I go from, like, where, why won't the snow leave us to, oh, it's hot, so hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we uh, we had that yesterday. My, my family was, like, complaining because it was, like, Got up to like 78 yeah, degrees yeah. in the house, yeah, no that's air hot on. In the house. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are we turning the air on, Dad? What's going on? Are you yeah. trying to kill us in here? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's good to be back with our friends that listen. And if you do listen and you enjoy and it helps you, it helps us if you rate it, share yeah. it, like it. Um, Give us a review. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Find, the, find the smartest, best leaders you know, send them it. And then also find the worst leaders you know and send them this as well. Yeah. That's called a win-win-win. In this scenario, we all win. Win-win-win-win. Win. Yeah. I like it. Well, last episode, we started talking about the five myths of discipleship. And uh, this is based on an article by Jonathan Dodson on crossway.org. It came out on March 18th of this year. So you can go back and you can read the article yourself if you want. But let's dive right in. We did two last episode. If you didn't get to it, very controversial. Mm. Uh, right at the end, you got to listen all the way to the end. Yeah. Uh, but something very controversial happened. Yeah. If you miss it, you're, you're going to feel like a fool let's when just you're talking say with your friends later. It involved the word fennel. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Fennel. So go back and listen. I love me some fennel. Uh, oh, fennel would be a great name for a dog. I just thought of that. <laughs> anyway, um, so we looked at a couple myths of discipleship, and and today we're going to look at th- we're going to finish up the article. We're going to look at three more myths, and this next one is another one that is a phrase we use all the time. And our buddy Jonathan, he's not really our buddy. We don't know him, but our buddy Jonathan is, I think, just trying to make you read. Because mm. when you see this myth, you would go, "How is that a myth?" Are you ready for it? Yeah. You really ready? I'm ready. You double double ready? Double double dog dairy to go. All right, here we go. Myth number three: 
discipleship is life. Oh, how dare life. you say that's a myth? Life on life. We've probably said that 25 Wait, times hold on. So on the, this you, episode. You said that very weird. So what you said is the myth is discipleship is life on life, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Discipleship is life on life. And here's, well, let's, before we address what he says, this little uh, clickbait guy here, uh, what did we, you know, because we've used this phrase a lot, Jared, when we say discipleship is life on life, what do we mean that you're going to see soon? Jonathan means something different. I would say what we mean is it requires proximity mm-hmm. to people. It requires time, engagement. It requires um, a shift in your priorities, a shift in your um, uh, comforts. It, it, it requires you actually engaging and committing the time and proximity into uh, a meaningful, deep relationship with another person. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of last episode, the danger of discipleship from a distance. Yep. Right? So let me just let him explain. I'll let him speak for himself by reading a little bit of what he says here. He says, um, so he acknowledges some of the things that you just mentioned as being important in discipleship in his own life. But then he says, however, if we're not careful, life-on-life life discipleship can lead to my best life on your life, meaning I will show you the best but not worst parts of me. So again, he could have said this more clearly, but I think he was trying to make people read his article. He says, I will show you how to study the Bible, what evangelism looks like, what godliness is, but I will not reveal my insecurity, pride, or anxiety to you. We put the best foot forward while hiding the ugly one. We become the professionals and our disciples the novices. We almost create like a, um, an unhealthy dependency, right? Then he says, this creates an unattainable idea for disciples of Jesus, leading to deep guilt and shame when they fail to measure up. In fact... Professional discipleship replaces Jesus by giving others the impression that if they can be like us, they will have arrived. But we should encourage people not to put their faith in us, but in Jesus, who is much more forgiving and gracious than even our best selves. Now, listen, this is different than what he actually said. Because yeah, that, yeah. that's the opposite of life-on-life right. discipleship. He's making a point here, though. And what I would say is, like, you, just knowing you and being friends with you, this is an area of strength for yours that you are um, transparent and authentic about what you're going through. You don't try to uh, impress you, people. You, you In fact, you've maybe you say never over the top. You've you s- maybe never impressed people. Is that the right way to say it? <laughs> <laughs> but you you are you're real, you know. And I think there is in some, and maybe less with our generation, maybe more so. I don't want to throw a whole generation under the bus. But I sort of feel like the younger generation is a little more transparent about their. Yeah. Um, shortcomings and their struggles, and maybe part of that is just the fact that their lives are on stage all the time via social media. It's kind of hard to hide some of those things. And increasingly in our culture, is not just okay, it's actually celebrated to talk about your struggles, right? Yep. Which I think could be a good thing, of course. Yeah. But there are previous generations and even still circles today where it's like um, the idea of discipleship is you find a super holy person and they show you all the best ways to be like Jesus but you never see them lose their temper. Mm. You never see them struggle. And what do you think is the shortcoming of discipleship when the person who is discipling you is not appropriately authentic and transparent with their own struggles and their own journey of discipleship? Well, my biggest concern in that situation is that they don't eat. Does that person really understand the gospel? Mm. And the reason I would say this, because I believe you were talking about this recently, maybe a sermon. If you look at the words of Paul, as he got older, what happened? He started to talk about himself as a worse sinner 
than he did early on. So you, I think you said this. You're like, what are the two options? That he started sinning more and more or that he actually was becoming the more Christ-like he became, the more in love with the gospel he became, the more aware of his sin and brokenness he became. Yeah. Yep. And the more authentic and open with that truth he became to other people as he's communicating about it. Mm-hmm. So if if to me the sign of Christian maturity is that I'm becoming wa- more aware of my sin and my brokenness. Yeah. And more this is going to sound bad, but more comfortable in that, meaning I'm not comfortable with sinning, but I'm comfortable with expressing that sin because that is a, a an increasing reality of my life. And trusting Jesus and others with that. With sin, that, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way that I often say it is that I think as you grow in faith, you become more and more um, impressed with your, or more and more impressed with Jesus and less and less impressed with yourself. Yeah. Right. But a lot of times... Or I shouldn't say a lot of times, but some of the times Christians who have been in the church the whole life and been very good and done their part, um, you run into them later in life and it almost feels like they're more and more impressed with themselves and less and less impressed with Jesus. And that's the sort of person you don't really want pouring their life into you. Because yeah. I think what he's what he's saying here, what, what I hear him saying or underneath what he's saying is this. I may be discipling you, but what I have to give you is worthless compared to what Jesus has to offer you. Yep. And the only thing that I have to offer you in a discipleship relationship is the life of Christ that's being formed in me. Yep. And that formation process is like a roller coaster at times. It's like a stock market at times. It is not just a steady climb to the top. And certainly there is no plateau at the top at which you've arrived. And so if you are discipling people, I guess just to kind of make this practical for our audience, many pastors and leaders and and Christians listen, if you're pouring your life into someone, it's important that you are and I've used this word already once, so I want to use it again, appropriately authentic, right? It doesn't mean they got to know every wicked thought you have. It doesn't mean that you need to be vivid in your description of your sin right. struggles, right? Because that can be unwise also. But it does mean that um, you need to be honest, and that honesty flows out of this sense of like, the gospel frees you to be honest about your shortcomings. Because of what Jesus did, being a sinner is no longer fatal, but the denial of being a sinner is, right? Mm. And so I think that level of transparency, first off, it invites them. The reciprocation of transparency is usually more transparency, right? But it also communicates something really important about the gospel, which is there's always a place to turn even when you fail. Yeah, and the problem is when we're not authentic and we're not real, the majority of people, all people, also feel this tension of maintaining an image, but it's not their reality. Mm. It's not where they're actually at. So all that's happening is you're inhibiting your ability to disciple them because they're not actually coming and talking to you about the real issues in their life. They're just hiding them. So you think you're discipling somebody, but actually you're not because you're not opening up the package of their life and going, okay, this is messy. This is broken. This is jacked up. Let me help you with this because they don't think they're allowed to do that because they have to look and act more like mm-hmm. you. And so I, I think it dramatically inhibits and hurts us as disciple makers. And the ripple effect is that they will then try to disciple people the way yeah. that you discipled them, right? So, yep. All right, so myth number three, discipleship is life on life. Probably the better way to say that is discipleship is my best life only or whatever. You yeah. know. D- myth number four, and this one I don't think we have to rework at all, discipleship is optional. And and what he's saying here is that in some Christian circles, this idea that like to be a Christian is to pray a prayer, um, to go to church, to be a good person. 
but like not everybody has to be radically committed to Jesus. Like some people can just be uh, fans, not followers, right? Or believers, not disciples. But there's no discrepancy in the New Testament between disciples and some lesser form of Christian faith, right? Everyone is expected to be a disciple. Jesus taught them. And one of the things that he says in this article that I really love is he says, um, discipleship is possible because Jesus devoted all of his life to us before we were even born. And then he says this, discipleship isn't optional because we're called to Jesus, not to heaven. If we're just called to heaven, then like just get them saved, right? But we're called to Jesus. Aim for Jesus and you get heaven thrown in. Aim for heaven and you'll get no heaven at all. But if you truly encounter Christ, you know deep down he's the only one worth living for. So how do you see this? You know, you've been around, you're around churches all the time. You're around Christians and Christian leaders all the time. How do you see this showing up sometimes um, maybe in unintentional ways in churches in terms of like discipleship being communicated as an optional thing, a program, something for the really spiritual people, as opposed to, no, this is what it means to be the people of God. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And actually, I think, I think, and honestly, it's more the default, it's more the norm than the exception, Hmm. unfortunately, with churches. And um, I, I think it comes down to a lot of our, even as pastors and leaders, our lack of understanding of what discipleship is. And um, what the mission of God ha- is for us in all of our lives, and so um, yeah, so I, I I think that's really what you see most often, and I think it's per I think you kind of did a good job of explaining it, but it's kind of projected as this idea that um, this is something that we should do to get ourselves into the right standing with God, or this is something that should be done. Um, if you're really talented or really gifted or, um, you know, whatever. So for a lot of people, they think about Christianity as like giving up the fun life in order to get the funner Mm. life in eternity. You know what I mean? So it's like, let me give up the fun stuff now because one day it'll pay off. But you're, you're starting to push into our fifth myth right now, but go ahead. I'll allow it. I won't go too, I won't go too deep here. So reshaping the narrative of like, part of the reason why we make disciples is not just to get them into heaven, but it's because living a gospel Christ centered life yeah. is the best life. Yeah. It's, it's the, to use the same words, it's the fun stuff. Now it's the only thing that actually brings life to us. Um, therefore, as we, we got to live it out in ourselves, but also it's, it should flow out of us. That that should be who we are, no matter who you are, what your gifts are, you know. Yeah, maybe it can be said that discipleship is not about bringing us to heaven, but bringing heaven to us. Yeah. You know, the, the, the reality of the kingdom of God, that it would be seen in our lives, in our hearts, and in our midst, that, you know, the kingdom of God, it dwells with it. it it's right where we're at. And that as we embrace what's been lost— by recovering our identity of who we are in Christ, and not just our identity, but you you often talk about the connection between identity and mission, right? Yeah. And I, I heard a talk recently uh, by one of the guys from the Bible Project, actually he was being interviewed by Tyler State and the pastor out in Portland, and he was pointing out something I never thought of before, that like when God, you know, Genesis, there's two creation accounts, right? There's one and there's two, and however you interpret that, you see God as the initiator and the originator of all life. All life comes from God, and when God creates the earth, we often say it was perfect and it was paradise, right? And that's true, but what this guy, and I can't think of his name right now, what he pointed out was this. It was perfect, but it wasn't complete, 
And the reason why we know it wasn't complete is because God looked for something or someone in his creation to do something in the creation that needed still to be done. Mm. And he created humankind to tend the garden, to work the garden. And so there's a way in which our original mission was actually to bring to some level of completion God's creative work and to bear his image well by continuing to do what he did. So little hymns in the world, creating, working the field, creating culture. You know, we can talk about, you know, nowadays it would be architects making buildings, songwriters writing songs, bakers baking cookies and bread, taking the raw natures of culture and turning it into something beautiful. And when we do that, that's part of our mission. So if that's all true, then there's a bunch of implications. But one of them is, is that discipleship is so much more than about being a Christian and going to church. It's about a recovery of even what it means to be a part of completing, being a part of the completion of God's beautiful work of creation, and that even our jobs can be meaningful in terms of the mission that God has given us. And now discipleship becomes something that breaks beyond the walls of Sunday and into every area of our lives. One other other thing I'll say about this that I think is helpful to think about is I think sometimes, especially in America, pastors tend to boil Christianity in church down to their manifestation of that, which is a Sunday morning service and maybe a Wednesday night service and then some ministries in the youth group or some ministries during the week, whether it's children's, mm-hmm. youth, whatever. And so we that's what Christianity is boiled down to. That's what discipleship is framed through. But I think what's helpful to think about is to say, to say okay, that's our ecclesiology. That's a version of our ecclesiology. That's a manifestation of how we live it out. But that's not the manifestation. There's places in the world right now where they they can't meet in the ways that we meet. It's illegal. They could be killed for doing that. Are they still the church? Yes, they are. So there's way, like Christianity is condensed so much deeper than just our manifestation. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Has to be bigger and more than attend attend a service on a Sunday morning and Bible study on a Wednesday night. You know, there's a ways that Americans perceive and experience God that would be very different than a Chinese person, yeah, or an African, or a European, or a Latin American, and like I think we do need to be not so myopic um, in terms of you know this sense of ownership of like yeah, we figured this out how to approach God who got you know there's like yeah there, we would benefit in you know from learning broadly so. All right, myth number four, discipleship is optional. It's not, it is essential. Myth number five, our last one, and this is where you started to kind of step on the toes of myth number five, is that discipleship is a killjoy. <laughs> that discipleship, while it is sacrificial and it's costly, and I guess that would be a myth that I might throw out there, that discipleship is not costly because yeah. it is costly, but he kind of goes a different direction based on his audience. Uh, discipleship is a killjoy. He's this idea that like, you know, yes, Jesus talked about leaving your houses, your brothers, your sisters, following after Jesus, but there's always this idea at the end that you will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But then Jonathan Dodson says, but what about this life? Didn't Jesus say we have to lose our lives to gain it? And indeed, he appeals to the inexhaustible gain of life with him. So he says, yeah, you're going to lose your life, but what you gain pales in comparison. Or, yeah, sorry, what you lose pales in comparison to what you gain. He says, we often settle for fleeting joys, but Jesus came to give us abundant joy. Um, And so uh, you started to mention this, you know, that sometimes discipleship is seen as this, like, give up the fun life, give up the good life, you know. Yeah, you could have a real fun time here, but then that means eternity might suck for you, right? Right. So instead, let your temporary life suck. 
so that your eternal life can be amazing. And that is a discipleship myth for sure. Yeah. I was recently um, watching a video, like a little reel. I think it was a Facebook Thief reel. in the night? <laughs> oh, oh. No, no, no. And it was this this millionaire or billionaire. I can't, I can't remember, but he was telling a story and he said, um, I had just bought a multi-million dollar home for my wife and I. And the they were building it and renovating it. And the contractor was taking a long time. And he was so, he had all this stress and all this craziness in his life. And he was like, he was so angry and frustrated and tense. And so he, he, he goes down to this property that they had purchased, multi-million dollar property. He's worth millions and millions of dollars. And he walks in to the property and he sees all these workers who are, getting paid $10 an hour. And he said, they're laughing and they're dancing. There's mm. music playing and they're working in his multi-million dollar home doing all this work. And he said, it hit him in that moment that they were happier than he was. And it was this existential kind of moment where he realized that, you know, the good life, the idea of the good life is subjective. Yeah. Right. And the, and so, to, so to your point, to put that in the perspective of Christianity is like, Oftentimes the things that we think are fun and awesome and we're missing out, Christianity flips all that on its head and mm. it says, no, 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 that's not actually reality. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. think the Apostle Paul says it, says it this way, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard him say that, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the only ways to make sense of the Christian story is to believe that God created us with the very specific design for human freedom and human flourishing. Right. Right. And we don't want to hear that because that makes us accountable and that creates parameters around our lives. And that's a whole nother conversation, of course. But, you know, this idea that freedom is found in the throwing off of all restraints and that flourishing is found in self-determination or self-definition, which is really that is yeah. where we're at as a, as a society today. Um, there's so much actual real life evidence, like the story you just told, but so many other stories like it, that actually it's so miserable. Yeah. Like that you're now responsible to define and determine your own life and that there's no parameters within which we find freedom and flourishing, but freedom and flourishing is, is totally subjective based on your experiences. And not only like it used to be like truth was objective, that's long gone. Then it was, yeah, so it's not it's not so much that we filter truth through the lens of, or that we filter our experiences through the lens of truth. Now it was vice versa. So now it was like, well, experience determines truth. But now it's gotten to the point where you hear people say, you know, I can't question that person's experience. Like, there's no standard anymore by which to measure what does it look like to be who and what we were created to be, right? Yeah. And so I think discipleship, all the sacrifices we make, all the things that we leave behind are actually one step closer to finding the freedom and flourishing that we were created for. And the example that I heard used back when I was in Bible college and I use a lot is if you imagine a helium balloon attached to a string and a kid walking through the park holding the string and the balloon is up there flying on a beautiful day and the balloon is thinking, man, this string is like 
really holding me down, like really holding me back. I could be free. I could fly. I could be my own thing. And, but this string is miserable and it's the worst. And so this healing balloon wriggles itself free from the string and flies off. And within like 10 seconds flies into the branches of a tree and pops and obviously gets destroyed. And the point of the illustration being that sometimes the things that seem to hold us down actually are holding us up. Mm. And I think in discipleship, you might look at the discipleship journey and go, oh, there's so many things in this journey that are going to hold me back and hold me down. And what you find as you come alive in Christ is though those are actually the very things that hold you up. Yeah. That's the life you were created for. It's not the life the world tells you that you should have, yeah. but it is the life that we were created for. And so I think the idea that discipleship is a killjoy is a massive myth because I would actually say discipleship is the path into joy. Yeah. And Jesus is our joy. And joy is not something he gives us. It's something that he is. Yep. So in experiencing and having him, which is the purpose of discipleship, Jesus, then we experience this joy. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's a great, great way to think about it. And I, I was thinking about this too recently. It's like in the world, in the world's perspective, we kind of think of ourselves as um, chasing certain things that will free us from this prison cell we're in. Right. So mm. it's like, if I could just make enough money, then I would be freed from this, this cell that I'm in. And I'm going to, I'm going to work my whole life. I'm going to do all this stuff to, to, to get out. And I think what's interesting, and you kind of pointed to this, is like the reality of that is what people often find is maybe they break out of that prison of poverty only to realize like they're still in a prison, right? Yeah. Like maybe they got out of one cell, but now they're just in a bigger cell prison or a different earning, cell. Prison of earning or prison of more. Yeah. Right. And the freedom they thought it brought them, it didn't. What the gospel does and what discipleship does is it, it removes the entire prison. Like it, the things that once enslaved us, once imprisoned us, all of a sudden don't. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're going to have way more money or way more this or way more that, or, or it doesn't mean that you're to your point, you're not going to inhibit yourself and give up some of the things that you maybe would like to do, but no, I'm not going to do those things. But what it does is it frees you from being enslaved and imprisoned by those things mm. for, for the first time in your life, you're actually free even though so many people around you are are chasing freedom only to realize they're they're just they're going deeper into the prison you yeah. know and that's i think the beauty of ultimately the gospel and jesus and and through through discipleship does and what if what you know a couple of weeks ago our friend dan was speaking at trinity and he was talking about giving and he said you know yes the lord blesses us when we give but what if what he wants to bless us with is better than money yeah and it really jumped out at me cuz you know i think we tend to know what's better for our kids, right? Like a bath a couple times a week is better than no bath. Uh, eating the vegetables is better than eating dessert every night. And they wouldn't choose it, but we choose it for them because we know this is better for you. What yeah. if, is it possible that God knows a few things we don't know? Of course, I'm being sarcastic, but that there are things that he wants to lead us into that are better for us. And that as the designer, he is also the definer of what actually makes us yeah. Uh, come fully alive and fully free. So, yeah. absolutely. Well, let's uh, move into the portion that everyone waits for. David eats, and um, you know, spring is here, summer's coming. So, I'm going to ask you the age-old question. We know what this means: barbecue season. What are we doing for your first barbecue? Well, I'm not legit. Like, I don't got a smoker. No, we or, know. We know. Okay, you don't yeah. need to tell people. Well, that. We got friends that do, but I, I, I'm not. So. Well, I, mean, I, I do, I do dabble. I do, yeah, you I gotta, do smoke a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Don't take that out of context. Yeah, 
I, you know what I'm really into um, recently is actually grilling shell-on shrimp. Mm. Um, Costco sells these bags of these white shrimp with shell-on. And I think why I like it so much is it's pretty hard to mess it up. <laughs> because the shell serves as like, it protects the flesh of the shrimp. And it really protects you from overcook. You'd really have to mess it up to overcook the shrimp. Yeah. And uh, it actually kind of becomes almost, gives it like a, like grilled grilled on the shell, but then almost like steamed on the inside. And then, of course, if you season it properly and then like I'll throw it in the oven just for a little bit with like some butter and garlic or like do like a coconut Thai curry sauce or something. And the way Costco's has the shrimp cuts, the, the back of the shrimp, the two sides are already split down the middle. So you're, you're just pulling. It's very easy to open up is what I'm trying to say. Nice. So um, I'm really feeling grilled shrimp right now. But but of course, all sorts of meats on the grill. I love. Mm, let's go. I could go for some grilled shrimp right now. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys on the next episode.